Hello everyone, my name is Adelia Volkanov and I'm here again with my friend Colin Bones. Whoa. This is episode 46 of Ron and Hermione Minus the Romance and today we will be covering chapters 4 and 5 from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I won trivia last episode and I will give you the question of the day after our disclaimers. We'd like to first and foremost disclaim that we on Ron and Hermione Minus the Romance do not agree with or support J.K. Rowling's bigotry and prejudice in any way. We do not tolerate hatred of any kind and wish to create an open, safe environment on our podcast. Everyone is welcome and encouraged to listen here. This is your major spoiler warning. If you do not wish to hear anything beyond this point in the Harry Potter books discussed, this is not the podcast for you. We will be discussing and heavily referencing all media in the Harry Potter magical universe in every episode, so if this is your first encounter with the Harry Potter world, you have been forewarned. Now, if you're still here, enjoy the show! you choose to conceal your magical house oh wow um i think i i'd put it in the clouds i think there needs to be more house clouds i mean cloud houses <laughs> i think that the sky is an under you desire under you to you just you to under you under you under you underutilized place of free real estate yeah so i i'm looking imagine how much money i could make from starting the real estate business in the sky you are so right i mean we're looking at the future right now i mean yeah maybe you could also figure out how to like make sure the air isn't so thin that you would immediately not be able to breathe uh whatever (laughs) who needs air no we can wear astronaut suits i've always said this i think life would be better (laughs) in an astronaut suit anyway like you don't have to use the bathroom i mean yeah right I don't think the suit just, like, completely gets rid of that. Well, I was not looking for that specifically, but... Okay. Yeah. Um, I would conceal my magical house. You know that thing that they do where, like, at the, uh, in Goblet of Fire, where the tents are, like, really ugly and tiny on the outside, but then on the inside it's, like, nice and furnished and, like, bigger? I, the outside would be, like, a really ugly, tiny, old, old, like, little house on like a farm so I'd have like a really nice farm but the house would look like old and dilapidated and then on the inside it would be like nice and yeah nice I would do that because then who would see like an old abandoned like shack and think I'm gonna go over there so I would do that and then also that charm where anytime muggles come near it they immediately like remember something they have to do and leave yeah I personally love abandoned shacks I go there every Sunday afternoon. <laughs> well, then Colin can continue to come over to my house. Aww. Yeah. But we'll sit outside so that you can get the shack yeah. effect. The yeah. abandoned... Yeah, because on the inside it won't look like that. Yeah, so. unfortunately. 
<laughs> okay, um, before we move on to our actual content, we received an email today, <sighs> or if we didn't receive it today, we read it today, um, from a listener, and they sent us in a question to answer here on the podcast. So, um, yeah, the question is, what would we do if we were in the scene um, from... Chamber of Secrets, I almost said Sorcerer's Stone, <laughs> in the movie where the flying car is right in front of the train, and that really awesome moment where um, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe... <laughs> that really awesome it. moment, yeah. No, what, no, it's so funny, though, because, like, when they look at each other and just go, ah, and it's, like, it's funny. Um, yeah. Anyways, what would you do, Colin, in that situation? Um. God knows how you would find yourself in that situation in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it happens to the best of us, but I think, <laughs> I think I would um, say my prayers. <laughs> um, more realistically, I jump, not, not like <laughs> in that way. I meant like jump out of, of the, the car. Train? No, out of the window, out of the door. Sure. Well, I can open the door, assumedly, in this sure. scenario, so I can. Assumedly. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I can open the door and throw myself out yeah because yeah, why the, would they want to be in that car anyway in the movie it looks like it's a really far like drop to the bottom because it looks like it's like the train thing is elevated maybe i can jump on the train i am just a very skilled acrobat and i can black <laughs> widow my way onto you're, the train yeah. you're a spider-man you can yeah. just hang on and like <laughs> uh, yeah um Honestly, I don't know if I would ever find myself in a situation where I was illegally driving a car. I feel like in the first place, I would have had the common sense to say, hey, let's just call them or, like, wait or send them an owl. Like, literally anything besides let's illegally drive this car to school, you know? So I feel like in the first place, I probably would not end up driving a flying car right in front well, of the Well, let's train. pretend you were kidnapped and thrown into a flying car. Okay, sure. I was just about to say, like, if I did find myself in that situation, I don't even... I mean, honestly, I feel like the smart thing to do is just immediately, like, yank the wheel and, like, swerve out of the way. Like, maybe a little bit. Like, it, 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 
absorbing mm-hmm. information from Harry for this long. Honestly, though, I feel like that's kind of the point of doing it. They're keeping even the smallest things from Harry. No one has said this is Sirius's house. Like, of all things, shouldn't he know that? You know, because it's like, the thing is, is they're kind of showing in this chapter that the adults in Harry's life are continuing to infantilize him, no matter how much he's proved himself. So even little things, like, this is Sirius's house, that's a portrait of his mother. Um... All of, this is the Order of the Phoenix headquarters. What's the Order of the Phoenix? Like, you know, stuff like that. It's like they're still keeping everything from him. And I think kind of the point of keeping even stupid things like that from him is, like, to show how little he actually knows. Yeah. Um, Harry opens the door and Hermione hugs him. And she's wow. so excited. And they're, Ron and Hermione are excited. And, but Harry immediately feels very bitter and starts yelling at them. He yells every, and this is a quote, bitter and resentful thought he's had over the years. And Hermione starts crying. Honestly, I think this scene is very complicated because you should never yell at your friends or say things like that to your friends. But once again, I really feel like this summer, this was the summer that could have turned Harry around. Like, this was the summer where he needed to be surrounded by people he knew. This, of all the times in his life, is when he needed his friends the most. He needed to be surrounded by wizards. Like, imagine experiencing something deeply traumatic and traumatizing and immediately being shut in a house for a month with people you hate and that hate you and don't understand you. You know, and so I feel like Dumbledore could have been the reason that Harry turned into a permanently angry and resentful person. Harry came out and was better than that, which is a good thing, but Dumbledore is totally responsible for all of this bubbling over and coming out at Ron and Hermione. Of course, Harry is, you know, he's 15, he's getting a little older, he's in control of himself, but it's not... I mean, it's yeah, that's why it's complicated, because it's like, you know... He could have controlled himself enough and been like, hey, it's not your fault, I know, but I'm still angry. Like, sure, he's 15. He could have expressed his emotions in a more productive way. But at the same time, it's like, it's not his fault that he was locked up with the Dursleys for a month and then just continued to be like, oh, I can't tell you anything, can't tell you anything, you know? And I also think it sucks that Hermione was there so early in the summer, probably... She probably barely even went home and was with Ron in the Weasleys. What is her family situation? I don't know. That's another thing that confuses me. Because like, don't you like miss your parents? Maybe sometimes. I there has there has to be more nuance than that. Like I I need I wish that she we got a moment to talk about this. I know because like does she have a bad home life? Like what exactly? I don't. The only thing I I could possibly because it's like. It doesn't totally make sense to me, because the only thing I could possibly think of that would, like, make, like, sense is if, you know, it's one of those things where your house is nice, your family is, like, well off, and you're doing well, but there's just nothing there for you, like, and, uh, like, like, no sort of, like, emotional, like, connection to her parents, you know? It's, like, it's that, like, trope where, like, the, well, not that Hermione is at all, like, rich, but, I mean, it's, like, the trope of, like, the rich parents who, like, don't really talk to their kids, but it's, like, you can't really say that your house is, like, terrible because you're very well off, you have everything you could possibly need, but, like, your parents and you guys, like, just don't, like, talk ever, you know? So the only thing I could think of is, like, if Hermione and her parents had that kind of relationship where they just didn't really talk to her like an adult or didn't really pay any attention to her, but, like, that's not really the case. Like, the few times we see the Grangers, they seem like very happy, loving people, and, of course, it doesn't speak for what could be happening 
behind closed doors, but it just doesn't make sense to me. I have a lot to say. Okay, um, go ahead. So, yeah. Okay. So, it's pretty tr- horrible how Harry is treating Ron and Hermione, even though oh, yeah. I find it completely understandable. No, yeah, without it. But I love this chapter because I think it's so interesting to see this new side of Harry. Um, but it doesn't feel out of nowhere either because it feels so earned. And yeah, like, even though we're sitting here reading this and we're like, Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> it also kind of feels like fulfilling for us too, because Harry's like finally letting his emotions out after all of this time. Yeah. And all of us have been reading this book like, dude, just please just talk yes. it out with someone. <laughs> um, I wish we saw more of Ron and Hermione in this book because yeah. I feel like there is some good chemistry building that's happening in this book. Like, I feel like they are much closer than before. Like, it's not mentioned that often, but they're always together in this book. Like, they are never apart. And, like, constantly playing off of each other. And I think this also shows that Ron and Hermione are kind of at a higher maturity level than Harry is in this book. Like, even though Ron is still Ron... Um, he, I feel like even he is kind of resolving his problems a lot better than Harry is. Yeah. By that you mean like emotional maturity. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think it it makes even more sense that in the next book, Harry's like, wow, I had no idea that they were even to get, like, they liked each other. And because he's so caught up in his own head this entire book that even he's not noticing all these times that Ron and Hermione are spending together. Um, love that Ron always stands his ground against Harry. Like, Hermione, he's taking a very different reaction to this than Hermione is. She's literally sobbing. Um, I mean, yeah, anyone could understand how she would, of course, feel. Because it's like... The thing is, is what's difficult is that it's not their fault. It is not yeah. Ron and Hermione's fault that they were told by Dumbledore to not tell him anything. But of course, like, it makes sense that Harry is taking out his anger on the two people closest to him. These are the only people that, you know, he can really just take his anger out on that will continue to support him no matter what and just be there. And also, I think he also knows that they will push back and, like keep him from being totally insane and, like, just rude. Because, like, this isn't right. It's not right to yell at your friends and all of that. But it's still, like, he knows that Ron and Hermione will keep him from being completely just, like, wrong. And, like, just... Because he's not necessarily being rude just for no reason. It's, like, there's, there's emotion, there's reason behind it. Not that it makes it acceptable, but it's different than just being rude just to, just to do it, just because you can. Yeah. So. I specifically love the section where Harry goes into caps lock mode. Um, <laughs> because he goes on about these things, like, who saved the Sorcerer's Stone? Who got rid of Riddle? Who saved both your skins from the Dementors? Because... We know that Harry is not full of himself. Like, no, God no. He is... This is... He's <laughs> like the most in, insecure person <laughs> yeah. in the whole series. And in no other situation would he be saying anything, anything like this. And 
so we know, like, the audience knows that he doesn't mean it. Um, and it's also reflected back on later in the book when everyone else is going on about his achievements. And he's like, no, that, that, that's not who I am. I, he, I didn't do this on my own. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, of course, in this moment, like, he knows that he, did, he would never have survived anything without help. That is something that Harry is always able to admit, and willingly so. He never would have survived without help, without support, and he knows that. But I think now he's feeling like he didn't get support when he needed it the most. Whether he's able to vocalize that or not, like, this this is happening, and he's saying all of these horrible, like, bitter things, because he... In this this summer, after Cedric's death and after him witnessing Voldemort coming back to life, like, I feel like the act of Voldemort taking his blood is so oddly, like, personal. Like, that's such, like, not even going past watching him come back, watching Cedric die, to have your own blood taken from you for something like this, I feel like that's a little looked over. Because while that eventually was Voldemort's downfall and we all see that as, like, a stupid mistake, which it was, that is so deeply, like, disturbing and personal. Like, that's a whole other... Harry is so much that he's dealing with right now that'll affect him for the rest of his life. This is when he really needed the support. I think he could have scraped by in other moments in his life without as much support. Not, like got off completely like as he did with support but like with this was the moment he needed it and I know that he's feeling like he didn't get it he didn't get anything from Ron and Hermione who he knows were there supporting him through getting the Sorcerer's Stone through the Chamber of Secrets through the Dementors through the three tasks you know so I think like he's pulling all of this out because it's like he knows he couldn't have done it alone but right now, he's feeling very alone. He's feeling like he's dealing with all of these things alone. And so I think maybe he's kind of questioning, like, do I need your help? Because I think at this point, I don't even know. I don't know if he thinks he's handling it well. I don't I don't know any of that. But I feel like this is kind of a moment where he starts to question whether he really needs anyone. Because he was robbed of support by Dumbledore, the person who's supposed to care about him more than anyone and protect him more than anyone and didn't do that when he needed it. I feel like of all of the moments in the series, this was the one that could have changed everything for the better or for for worse, you know? Because this could have turned Harry into a angry, an angry, resentful person for the rest of his life. He could have ditched the cause. He could have done a thousand different things after experiencing something like that. He also could have saved himself all of this anger and pent-up emotion if he had just received the support he needed, like, now. So it's just, like, it's so complicated to me because it's, like, it's not right to say, well, he's upset, so it's kind of excusable that he said all those things for Hermione, because it's not, but it makes sense. And he kind of needed it, honestly. Like, if he wouldn't have yelled at them right here, I think he would have had an even bigger meltdown in the in the books. Like, throughout the book. Yeah. Like, he kind of, he kind of needed this a little bit. Um, yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> Continue. Okay. Um, Ron and Hermione explain that they are currently at the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, a secret society formed by Dumbledore aimed at defeating Voldemort. 
currently order members are trying to get people over to their side before the death eaters get to them and i think there are not many members of the order that were members the first time around like there are not a lot of surviving members yeah another thing about the order i'm a little confused um mostly because like most of the time like when we see the order interacting we that's not the whole order like we know they have them all around the place like most of the hogwarts staff presumably is part of the order of the phoenix Mm -hmm. like i just i'm a little confused how far how big the order of the phoenix actually is I feel like people who are firmly, like, on the cause against Voldemort are not necessarily Order members. Yeah. So people who fought against Voldemort, I don't think that all of them were Order members. So, like, I who's a professor at Hogwarts that wasn't necessarily named a member of the Order of the Phoenix? Did they ever say anything about Flitwick? No. Okay, he fought against Voldemort, not necessarily a member of the Order. So yeah. I feel like... I feel like But I feel like McGonagall is definitely a member of the Order. Oh, yeah, they mention her in this chapter. Oh, okay. Um, No, she's absolutely a member. Yeah, so I feel like the um, people who fought with the Order against Voldemort, like, that number is larger than the people actually current, like, members of the Order. Those are the people who fought against him but weren't in the Order or people who didn't do any of the convincing and going and seeing the the um the giants and the you know all of that stuff so okay yeah it doesn't totally make sense at all but that's just (laughs) (laughs) um um yeah and then we're briefly introduced to extendable ears and the fact that fred and george have passed their apparition test which becomes painfully clear for the in the rest of the yeah the books i also had to put in a little thing in here about Ginny to date this episode further um to say the yossification of Ginny weasley because <laughs> she's had her glow up it's her reputation era oh um can you uh, tell that we're taylor swift fans <laughs> yeah she i love seeing the progression of her character and even though we don't see all of it we it's still such a cool arc she's and you so never awesome. see it coming my favorite moment for her in this book is when Mrs. Weasley doesn't let her sit in um, the the meeting thing where Harry's asking all of the questions and stuff and she like screams and stomps up the stairs the whole way so <laughs> funny <laughs> that's like her best it's like her best moment um okay so this is also where we are told for the first time about the divide between Percy and the rest of the Weasleys and I thought this would be a good time to discuss this a little. I have been waiting for this. <laughs> I have been waiting for this. Um, I'm sure you have a lot to say as well. Um, first of all, I think that from the very beginning, the Weasleys, the parents, I mean, mostly mostly Molly. When I say, like, the Weasley parents, I'm basically talking about Molly. Um, <laughs> I think even Mr. Weasley established... A difference between Percy and his siblings. I feel like each sibling kind of has a pair except for Percy. Are you okay? Um, yeah, so I feel like... 
So, like I was saying, I feel that every sibling has, like, a pair, except for Percy, a sibling that they're grouped with. Bill and Charlie, Fred and George especially, Ron and Ginny. Well, Bill and Charlie were also high-performing students. I don't think that, like, because they were the oldest, that they really felt the pressure that their younger siblings did to be high-achieving because they were the example. Because they were grouped together, kind of, because it's like... When you read the books, they always you always feel like the feeling like from the siblings is like they're grouped except for Percy. Bill and Charlie are always kind of like, well, Bill and Charlie are doing this. Ron and Ginny are the youngest, and so they're kind of they're closer in age, of course. And then Fred and George are basically treated like they're the same person, which is a whole other yeah. terrible thing. Um, but I feel like um, because. Bill and Charlie were kind of grouped together. Once they started displaying ambition a little bit and, you know, being good students and all of these things, Mrs. Weasley kind of started... They just... They became the example. And so when Percy... I think Percy was the first sibling to really feel the pressure. And he maybe Yeah, he was the, the first sibling to feel it because he was following the two, the pair, the example... And so I think that when Percy started showing clear ambition, the parents, mostly Molly, started kind of separating him from his younger siblings. Not necessarily purposefully and not physically, that's not like what I'm saying, but the way they talk about Percy and treat Percy, I think really isolated him from his siblings. You know, they kind of are always referring to Percy as like the one that's different. He's different than his younger siblings. He's supposed to try to be like his older siblings, but he's never really given like a pair, you know, like he's not necessarily, yeah, it's just, it's strange. He's isolated from the rest of his siblings and this, and I think he was the first one to really start to resent being poor. I think that is part of what drove him out of the house. I think that since Bill and Charlie were so much older, they didn't necessarily experience poverty like the younger ones did. Because having two kids is very different than having seven. Yeah. And for most of the time, it's five. Because Bill and Charlie were so much older, they left the house sooner. But Percy existed in the time when they had the amount of kids that was manageable, but still a little tight. Because I doubt that at any point they would have been, like, well off. But I think that Percy was born right around the time where... The transition from two to three kids was manageable. I'm sure they were doing better then than they were with as many kids as they ended up having. So Percy experienced that life where things were okay, things were tight, things were, you know, working class. And he also experienced the extreme poverty that came with having four younger siblings. Like, Percy experienced all of that. Not necessarily like Bill and Charlie, who really only were there to be... Obviously, they were never, like I said, never well off. Bill and Charlie mostly lived the life of working class. Things were tight, not insane. Ginny experienced the extreme poverty, as did Ron. Fred and George, more or less. But Percy was there for all of it. He was there for it being, you know, better off. And he was there for the poverty that came with all of the kids they ended up having. That... And being isolated, you know, from his siblings in that they all were kind of given pairs and talked about and referred to in pairs. 
I think that that was a big part of what ended up driving him out of the house. That and the way that Molly tends to talk to them, which is just not right at all. Um, what do you what do you have to say about that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like like I it's pretty clear that what Percy did was not a good thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I also feel like we're getting a very biased perspective in this because, like, even in the part where it talks about how Molly like went to Percy and he slammed the door in her face, like, if you were like seeing things through Percy's point of view I could totally see like he's just trying to separate himself from like a toxic environment Mm -hmm. like I think in Percy's mind he's absolutely doing the right thing Mm -hmm. um I don't think Percy has any malintent behind anything um I think if I think he probably, part of him feels bad for the way he's treating them, but I think he's so blinded at this point that he doesn't really care. That's the other thing I wanted to say. Molly constantly ragging on her kids, comparing them to Bill and Charlie. That's the other thing about Bill and Charlie. Not only are they a pair, they are the example. So she nags them, of course. Cut your hair. Take out your earring. You know, she nags them, which is not right. You're not supposed to do that to your kids. However, they are the example. They are a pair. They existed in the Weasley family at home when they were better off and the amount of kids was semi-manageable. They leave. All of the rest of them, you know, she nags them. She compares them to each other. She's rude to them. She doesn't support them or their ambition if it doesn't mean a job at a desk at the ministry, you know? So it's like, and especially Percy, because he showed the kind of ambition and drive that Bill and Charlie did. And so because of this, it's like, if you treat your children badly or compare them to their older siblings or, you know, or constantly nagging them and making them feel like they can't be enough for you or do enough or do the right thing, they are going to seek acceptance and, you know, validation especially anywhere they can find it so percy goes into the ministry he's young he's ambitious he's ready cornelius fudge being the terrible little man that he is he sees that he sees that he senses it and right now what he wants is to make harry and dumbledore out to be basket cases and he knows but just by watching Percy uh, be with around Mr. Crouch, did anything for Mr. Crouch, would have done anything for him, Fudge knows that he can make Percy do whatever he wants if he tells Percy, you know, you're doing a great job, you are so set up to move higher and get more, earn more, and all of this. Like, he's telling... I'm sure that he was there telling Percy, you're in a great position to become minister of magic or to move up the ranks and to make more money and all of these things like if he all he had to do was give percy that little bit of acceptance and validation that he was missing at home and he percy was totally his like he he didn't have to do anything so it really just goes to show it's like you cannot treat your kids that way it's it's just like Kids who aren't receiving 
or who aren't living in homes where where their parents talk about them positively always don't compare them to anyone don't isolate them from their siblings if you don't do those things you have a good chance of not well obviously you know your kids aren't gonna go and pretend like a mad like terrible wizard is not back again like that's not gonna happen but i just mean that like if you know if you're positive at home if you tell your kids all the time you know you're doing a great job just like keep up the good work like don't compare them to their siblings don't isolate them don't it's like if you don't nag them about things that don't matter i don't care if you don't like their haircut i don't care if you don't like the earrings they're wearing it's like come on like why none of that is necessary but because she did all of that it was such a given that at least one of her kids was going to end up on the wrong side of the action because what he wanted more than anything was to be validated. And he found that. He found that with the wrong people. But it's totally it's totally on her. Percy's an adult. It's on him too because he made that decision. However, kids, like I've said a thousand times, kids are a product of their environment. His environment was not at all, like, positive for the most part. While, you know, Mrs. Weasley loves her children, of course, and it's so obvious how much she cares about them, she's also not always the best parent to them. So, if anything, it was that one of of them, you know, Percy and Younger, one of them was bound to, to end up on the wrong side of things because she treats them all the same way. If anything, I would have expected it to be Fred or George. Yeah. In a way, cuz she's the worst. I'm telling to you, them. they're serial killers. <laughs> but yeah, I just think that like the Percy thing is so interesting to me because Mrs. Weasley like it's upsetting. It's sad, you know, your kid leaves home and doesn't want to talk to you. But if you don't if okay, if your kid leaves the house and refuses to speak to you and you know, is on the other side of everything you stand for. You have to look inside of yourself and think, where did I go wrong? He d- he isn't just going to make that up himself. If she was if she was totally positive with him when he was growing up and in school and she never ever compared him to Bill and Charlie and she encouraged him to be closer to Ron and to Fred and George, he probably wouldn't have done that. The other thing is, I think, is that she never encouraged him to be close to his younger siblings. She separated him because he was the ambitious one. He was going to go places. And so she separated him from his siblings. Fred and George never liked him. (laughs) Neither did Ron. Ginny looked up to him. But, like, you know, Fred, George, Ron, she never encouraged them to be siblings, to like each other, to spend time with each other, because she made Percy feel so, so above everyone. Like, that's another thing. Why would you ever isolate your children from each other? That's only going to result in bad things. I just feel like a lot of the decisions Mrs. Weasley made as a parent are just like, don't make any sense to me. I'm like, how did you not see that coming? Like, I also think, like, again, from, like, Percy's perspective, like, he's been raised his whole life, like, looking at Bill and Charlie, and, like, this is the expectation. This is what you're going to be. So he gets to this point where he's finally in this high position that he thinks is finally going to make 
him of value to them. And he goes there and they're immediately disapproving. Like, yeah, I, of course he would not see the reality in that situation. Yeah. Also with Molly, like Molly also came from like a big family, like not as big as the Weasleys are, but Mm -hmm. like she had three brothers. So the expectations that were probably put on her are probably exactly what she's putting on to her children. Yeah. And it's just like, that's just an example of someone who is unable to break that kind of cycle. Yeah. Many parents were raised in like, whether it's extreme and like neglectful and abusive or just not right. Like, you know, putting excessive pressure on your kids and like, Many, many, many parents, I would even go so far as to say the majority, maybe, are able to be introspective and go, oh, why would I ever do this to a child? But Molly is not. She is incapable of admitting fault within herself. That is something we see over and over and over again. She is unable to look within and go, what, where did I go wrong? Because I feel like she's feeling like, well, I raised seven children and, you know, this and this and this. This one achieved this. She measure, measures her children and their achievements. Not even... But they have to be, like, large-scale achievements or she's not happy. This one works at a bank. This one lives in Romania and trains dragons. This one's at the ministry. And then because apparently inventing a whole line of products is not enough for her, Fred and George haven't achieved mm-hmm. anything. Because, you know, all of these things. It's like she's measuring them in achievements, but only ones that she thinks are enough. If anything, like, Fred and George are the most inventive people in that family. To invent all of those products out of nowhere? No, they had to invent the the recipe and the figure out how to make all of it work? Like, that's extremely advanced and creative. But because they weren't sitting behind a desk when they did it, it's not enough for her. So I just, yeah, she, I know that, yeah, you're probably right. She probably felt that kind of pressure from her parents. And, you know, how does she think that it worked for her? She didn't end up working at the ministry. How does that give her any right to do that to her children? So I think that it's, it's absolutely, while Percy is an adult and he can make his own decisions, it is totally on her that this happened. And it's also why I'm glad that we see Ron at the end of all this, like he only has two kids. Like I'm glad that he sees the effects of having so many children can have on one self-esteem. I mean, obviously you could argue that like they could have had more or whatever, but I like that they had a smaller family because I think that's exactly what Ron would have wanted. And I think Ron would try so hard to be the perfect father. Like, I I think think that would be incredibly important to him. I think he would be an excellent parent. And I also, when people are like, well, they could have had more. It's like, I doubt that JK Rowling would have written an epilogue where things weren't like done. You know, she wouldn't have written an epilogue five years after when they each only had one kid and left it open like well maybe they had more like I think she wanted it to be done and resolved they had yeah. their kids they were done these are the families it's it's done like I think th- I don't think she would have written an epilogue where they were still maybe gonna have more kids because she wouldn't necessarily have control over that and as an author I think it's totally reasonable to want that yeah 
So, um, yeah. But this, yeah, per, the Percy thing is so is so interesting to me because it's like, of course he's gonna be brainwashed by Fudge because Fudge probably said, "Hey, you're doing great. You're such." You're so driven. You're so motivated. Like, you could end up being the Minister of Magic when you get to be my age if you just keep going like you are. All he had to do was give him that little bit that he's missing at home, and he would believe anything he said to keep that position, to keep moving up in the ministry. Like, come on. So, yeah, it's... I just don't know how, at this point, when this happened, she wasn't able to think, God, what did I do? Because, like... Even in situations where you don't really think it's your fault, you have to be able to look within yourself and even at least consider the possibility that something happened because of you. And she's just completely unable to do that. Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, of course, this is also where we learn that um, the press is making Harry out to be a basket case. Uh, I also have to say... That now, whenever they say that people flinched when they hear Voldemort's name, I'm picturing the sound when you accidentally throw the bowling ball backwards and wee bowling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I, no. that's what I've, <laughs> the, the, I, <laughs> just input it, like, here in the, I, <laughs> when yeah. you're editing. But they're, they're all like, ah! like, it's, <laughs> it's, so that's what I imagine. Um, Everyone goes downstairs for oh, wait, dinner. Wait, hold on. Also, also sorry, sorry, sorry. Harry is such a defensive idiot. Like, the, <laughs> when they're talking about, like, oh, like, this is what they're saying about you. And, and he's like, but I don't do that. I don't do, like, <laughs> no one's saying anything to you. <laughs> I think like, he's like, I, I don't know. If I were anyone who was being picked apart in the press <coughs> like that, I would also be extremely defensive. <coughs> You never know who believes it and who doesn't. He already experienced people close to him yeah. thinking he was crazy. So it's like, honestly, at this point, Harry is not in his right mind. He has just witnessed an extremely traumatic event and then was left alone with his thoughts for a month. And now he's here and he has no idea what who what Ron and Hermione are going to think when he comes back. He hasn't heard any of their thoughts for a month. At all. He has no idea what they've been hearing, what they've been saying, what they've been thinking. So it's it's really funny that he's like, well, I'm not like that, but like, it's understandable. <laughs> you know, it like, it makes sense that he's like that because he has no idea. Like, and it's good that they were, they were patient with him and we're like, I know, like we know, because it's like at that point, he just needs like people to be patient with him. He has had the most ridiculously traumatic couple of months <laughs> also talking about r- romantic tension building up i have to say that it seems like in this him like Ginny is the one yep. who's most patient with him like, i know sh- and that is so perfect for harry and it's someone he needs for the rest of his life like that is i know i was literally just thinking that i was just about to say like yeah and Ginny was like really patient with him i was yeah. just about to say that and i was like Oh, I, I'm so, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, okay, so they, they go downstairs because it's dinner. And, of course, Tonks trips and Tip. knocks something over. And the curtains fly open to reveal a painting of a woman <sighs> screaming horribly offensive things at everyone. Yay. And then 
someone rushes forward and goes, shut up, to the portrait, and then she stops talking, and surprise, it's serious. What? And what? The painting is his mother. Wow. Surprise. And he has mommy issues. Wow. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I just... I mean, talking about terrible families, like... (laughs) Hit, like the the black family sounds awful. Like, yeah. Um, okay. Chapter five: The Order of the Phoenix. As they all gather for dinner, Sirius explains that the house belongs to his family, and he and as he is the last living member of the black family, it's now his house, and he offered it to Dumbledore as headquarters. Um, Fred and George continue to irritate Mrs. Weasley by using magic when it is completely unnecessary just because they can. Also, honestly, I can't blame them. It's kind of like that, um, um, like when people, like, uh, why, what was I about to say? No, because it's like, it's one of those things, like, ah, uh, just because I can. So it's like when people get their license and then they're always like, I got my license. And then they just like drive everywhere to do literally things that are totally unnecessary, like drive like not even a block away to the mailbox and then come back. So, that's what that reminds me of. So, I don't really blame them. But, yeah, it would be annoying. Yeah. Um, anyways. As dinner and dessert winds down, Sirius asks Harry how come he hasn't asked any questions about Voldemort. And Mrs. Weasley, of course, immediately objects. And she says he shouldn't know anything because he's just a child. And she and Sirius start arguing. And here, I think it is important to note that I find Mrs. Weasley is an incredibly self-righteous woman and it irritates me to no end it's like her telling Sirius that like Harry isn't James and you should be more responsible directly discredits Sirius's role as godfather no one at that table has any authority to decide anything about Harry except for Sirius he is technically his legal guardian and for Molly to start making decisions like that is totally unfair And also, in general, for the adults to continue to baby Harry and undermine his importance and relevance to the movement is ridiculous. Like, he, more than anyone, deserves all of the information. If they had told him right now about the Department of Mysteries, Sirius would not have died. If they would... If they would have just stepped up and said, hey, you know, this is this is scary, this is confusing, it's getting, you know, all of this, but here's what's going on. Here's the information. Sirius would not have died. Um, here's the thing. I kind of disagree with you a little bit here. Um, I- I was literally just thinking today, I wish we disagreed more, because we agree about everything, and so we're never, like, disagreeing. Yeah, um- I actually, like, I completely agree with the sentiment that Harry needs to know more. Like, I don't agree with what Molly's thinking is here, but I don't agree with the fact that, like, just because Sirius is his legal guardian, that I don't think that necessarily means that he's the most responsible one there. And it it kind of of discredits a bit, like, how Molly has been basically Harry's parent for the yeah. past two, like, oh my god, we've, we're so many books in now for the past four years. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. She... I also just 
generally don't think Sirius is a good parent. Like, I don't, I think we're going to get to it more later in the book, but I don't think Sirius is a good fit to be Harry's legal guardian. Like, I think he's completely irresponsible, and I don't think he sees, he sees Harry for Harry, and I don't, I like Sirius, but I don't necessarily think that he was the right fit for this role, and I think that, you know, in a legal system, if Sirius was not, like, considered a criminal, I'm not sure they'd completely rule that he should still stay with Sirius. I think, oh, I think, hold on, I have several points. Okay, I think that if Sirius had not gone to Azkaban, he absolutely would have been more fit and more responsible to be Harry's godfather. I think being absent from society for 12 years has kind of, like, obviously it's changed him that would change anyone so i do agree with you there are many times where i'm like dude come on that was irresponsible um however like because he was appointed by lily and james and because he technically is harry's legal guardian i would never pretend like molly has not been like a mother to harry for the past four years she has played an extremely important role in his life and she will always be a very important part of his story and his upbringing like she was she was wonderful to him and she continues to be for the rest of the series and of course for the rest of his life however i think her problem is that she thinks she's the only person who cares about harry and because of that she thinks she's the only one that can make decisions while i agree that sirius isn't always the most responsible in this situation he's right he's right that harry should have the information and obviously you can't judge like, well, in this situation, Mrs. Weasley is right, so she can make the decision. In this one, he's right, so he can make it. I just think that, I think that she needs to remember that she is not the only, because like, I think she's feeling a little bit threatened because up until now, she's been making the decisions for Harry. And she's been great. She's been wonderful to him. She's been more of a mother than Petunia could ever have ever even dreamed of being. I think, though, that because Sirius is in the picture and she knows that technically, legally, not that I think they have a real court system for things like this, I think she's feeling a little upset because she knows that she is not the only person making decisions right now. Because when it comes down to it, technically, because Sirius is Harry's legal guardian, it is his decision. I think that he also like, needs to, like, calm down and make decisions calmly, and, you know, he needs to, like, collect himself sometimes, but I think it's totally wrong of, of Mrs. Weasley to act as if he's, he isn't an important person in Harry's life, because while I agree he's not always the most responsible, and she's right in saying that, she is totally wrong for acting like she is better than him for, you know, because, like, she makes that really snide remark about him going to prison as if he wasn't framed. Yeah. Like, that's that's not right. Like, you are not a better person because you weren't framed for murder and you didn't go to prison. You know? <laughs> like, yes, he has been absent from normal society for 12 years because he was framed for murder and went to prison. Like, and yes, that contributed to him being a little bit irresponsible and desperate to have the kind of connection he had with James. Like, all of that is true, but she is she is totally wrong for acting as if she is the only one that should be making decisions for Harry, because she's somehow... I think that she thinks she's better than Sirius, like, morally, which she's not. 
Yes. Um, however, (laughs) (laughs) I also think that we're looking at this from the perspective of the whole series. Because Mm -hmm. at this point, we don't know the decisions they're making. They don't know the decisions they're making right now are going to have this effect. They don't know that Sirius is going to die by the end of this book. Yeah. Like, so, and they don't even, like... They don't even know Harry is the chosen one at this point. They don't know that Harry is the one who has to end all of this. So I think the choice to leave Harry out is just the same as leaving Ron and Hermione out of it, which I don't think is a bad thing. Like, I don't think Ron and Hermione need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that while that is... I swear to God, Crookshanks... He's so annoying. Oh my god. Sorry, he's like scratching at the door. It like nails on a chalkboard. Um, I think that it'll, even if they don't know Harry's the chosen one, and of course they could never have imagined that Voldemort would be able to change and alter Harry's mind and all of that. However, I do think that because Harry is the one that, Harry started all of this, you know? <laughs> like, he started it, he saw Voldemort come back, even if he wouldn't have been the only way to defeat Voldemort, I think that he was always going to play a, an extremely important part of this movement. They knew that Voldemort was always going to come after Harry. He didn't succeed this past summer when he meant to kill Harry and Cedric. So they knew that no matter what, he was going to end up going after Harry again. Well, they can't have possibly known the consequences, and that's not, like... None of that, like, Sirius dying is not their fault. By any means. Of course not. But, like, I think they should have respected a little bit more the fact that Harry was always going to be a huge part in this whole movement. Harry was always going to be more important to this than, say, Ron or Hermione, because they are not directly involved with Voldemort. Harry is. And I just think that in general, they underestimate how important it is to have all of the information. There are so many times when just just telling Harry what's going on could have saved someone's life. So I just I just think that in general, they're so worried about not freaking him out and and keeping him safe that they don't really think that Like, it's just, I don't know, I just think he is key to this whole thing, whether they know he's the chosen one or not. And they're kind of ignoring that because, oh, he's just a kid. Like Sirius said, he has experienced more than half of the people in the Order. So I just think that in that respect, looking at it just in the way that, okay, Harry started this, Harry saw him come back, Harry is always going to be the one that Voldemort goes after, specifically he should know. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that they're trying to keep Harry's mental health in mind. Like, at this, like, generally, up till this point, Harry did not want to be a part of this. He wanted to have a normal childhood, and that's what they're trying to give him at this point. This is the only time Harry's really showed interest in engaging with this type of thing, and it just happened at a poor time. You know? Yeah, fair enough. I think, I think though, especially because he was asking to know. He said, I want to know. I want to know. Tell me what's going on. Especially now because he's been starved of information for so long. I think that the second 
that Harry started showing real interest and really wanted and felt like he needed to know what was going on, they should have told him anything he wanted to know. I think when he was saying, I don't really want to know, I want to have a normal childhood, that's different. Don't force the information on him. However, right now, for them to be like, no, you're just a kid, when he's begging them, he's, tell me what's going on, tell me what he's doing, what's happening, like, all of these things. The second he started showing real, legitimate interest like that, they should have told him everything he wanted to know. Yeah. Fair enough. I just, I yeah. I don't think Harry needed to know everything. I think that Harry needed some information. I think he needed something so that he didn't, he wasn't upset this whole book, <laughs> just basically whining about it. But, like... <laughs> I don't feel like he needed to know everything because then I think we're basically making Harry a child soldier and that does not need to be <laughs> no. a thing that's happening. I don't think he necessarily needed to know that he was the key to defeating Voldemort right now because I don't think he would have necessarily asked that. I think right now he wants to know, is Voldemort on the move? What's he doing? I think they should have told him about the Department of Mysteries. If not that, then the prophecy, you didn't have to tell him where it was. You just had to say... Uh, well, the prophecy kind of leads directly into the fact that he's the... It didn't even... I just think that if he asked you a specific question, it is wrong to say, I'm not going to tell you, you're just a kid. Like, if you would have specifically said in this moment for some reason, am I the only way to defeat Voldemort? For them to say, I'll tell you later. That's not right. If he asks a specific pointed question, he should get the answer. <coughs> but, like, sure, I don't think he necessarily needed to know that he had to die to defeat Voldemort yeah. right now. That would have... That's too much. He's 15. Like, he is yeah, still I, young. And I think even, the like, the worst part about that is that Harry absolutely would die. Like, he would... It wouldn't be a question. And I think they're trying to preserve this long enough to the point where... Harry would have to step in. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're trying... They're like, this is not the point where Harry needs to step in yet. I think that they would have... Like, if things w- were different and um, none of the Department of Mystery stuff happened, mm-hmm. I think at some point Harry would have gotten involved because I think Voldemort's forces would have been too high and they just need people at some point. I just don't think that they were ready yet. I don't yeah. think that this was a forever thing that they were proposing. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that, if anything, the adults in Harry's life... Because it's, like, it's not even just telling him everything, because that's not, like you said, it's not necessary. It's just that telling him nothing is not a good alternative. Because Mrs. Weasley was proposing that they tell him nothing, and that is not right at all. Because that is her forgetting that everything that he's experienced he has a right to know things that he asks questions about yes you know like that is that is wrong and i to tell him nothing is just ridiculous to tell him everything including like hey one day you will die (laughs) because that's the only way that we can defeat Voldemort. that's not that's not necessarily right now either i think he should have known a tiny bit earlier than he did maybe but i don't know We'll get to that when we get to that. Um, If anything, all I... About, like, Molly and Sirius, I think that, uh, yes, he's not the most responsible choice. Not totally his fault, but I think that Mrs. Weasley needs to recognize a little bit more that while she may not think that he's the right fit to be making decisions for Harry, she cannot 
just ignore the fact that he is an important person in Harry's life now, and she has to, she has to co-parent a little bit, and yeah. she doesn't like it. She doesn't like it, but she has to do it because to disregard Sirius's influence in Harry's life is also not right. He's not necessarily the perfect number one choice, but ideally, of course, in a perfect ideal universe, Harry would have his parents there with him. Since he doesn't, the man that they appointed for him, Sirius, is there, but luckily for Harry, he has a ton of people who care about him, including Mrs. Weasley, who was so good to him. And I just, yeah, I think he, of course, he was so desperate to, like, be back in, you know, and feel and go outside. He was cooped up in that house, and it was terrible for him. Like, there wasn't much else that they could do, you know, but that was a horrible... He did not enjoy that whatsoever. So, of course, he was especially reckless being locked up in the house that he hated, that he, where he grew up with a family that didn't respect him. Of course, he was even more reckless because of that. So, I think, yes, he needed to... He needed to think and, and be practical, but she needed to recognize that she was not Harry's only quote-unquote parent anymore. So. I just think that in a universe where after Prisoner of Azkaban, like, everything got resolved and Siri- Harry went off to live with Sirius, like, I'd be worried about that situation because Sirius, it, it's like he would literally be being raised by a 17-year-old. Like... Sirius has not aged a day, like, mentally. Like, he is so emotionally stunted. Yeah, and it's like, of course it's not his fault, but it's also not ideal for raising Harry, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Oh, right, I forgot that I have more notes. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Uh, okay, yeah. Um, basically, they tell Harry that there have not been any clear signs that Voldemort is necessarily up to anything at the moment, that no strange disappearances. Um, they do have spies in the Ministry, and they're slowly spreading the word. Um, but Dumbledore has been stripped of his titles for trying to alert the public about Voldemort. And they, of course, are also telling everyone that he has lost his marbles. And so, then... Just as Sirius alludes to this weapon, Mrs. Weasley stops him and makes them all go to bed. Yay. Um, Sirius's poor wording choice is literally the whole reason for this book. No. I, weapon? Like, <laughs> weapon? Like, what was he thinking? Like, are you, like, a philosopher? Like, wisdom is a weapon. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. I, and I'm gonna say it. Like, I think it was a poor writing choice, too. Because, like... I just weapon, yeah. Like, I'm why? Why would she write that? I don't understand. Like, it's so weird. Ugh. I I don't even know, cause yeah, the only way that that could be painted is like the weapon Voldemort having that information. <laughs>
it's a synonym for that kind of. Wait. <laughs> Look at crochets. <laughs> is it? Could it be? Is it derelict? <laughs> How did you get that? I, for some reason, I wrote that word down. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my god. Good job. <laughs> now it's all, now I, wait, that's probably why I wrote that word down because I was like, why does this word feel so familiar? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I saw it and I was like, I wonder if you'll notice this. Because, yeah, um, wait, let me look really, really quick because I want to see what episode that was from. Um, I think it was the first episode. No, yeah, it was definitely the first episode of Goblet of Fire because it's the, um, the Riddle House. Yeah. That's um, crazy. <laughs> the, it's the fill in the blanks. The Riddle House is now damp, derelict, and un- unoccupied. Okay. My first question is: a large umbrella stand looked as though it might have been made from what? A troll leg. <laughs> yes. Yay! 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 My questions aren't very good, by the way. Mine either. Um. How many scrolls did Bill have at the table after the meeting? Um, it's either a ridiculous number or something small. Forty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Forty thousand scrolls say... of paper at the table. <laughs> I'm gonna say twelve. Wait. Is that really? <laughs> oh, shut up! <gasps> I'm a genius. You are. Good job. (laughs) This is very easy. Fill in the blank. I'm going to be embarrassed if I get it wrong now. (laughs) (laughs) Time is blank. Money? No. Wait, say that again? Time is blank. Oh, galleons. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um... What century is the silver goblet embossed with a black family crest from? 12th. No. <laughs> Imagine it's just the same thing. Um, if just all of my questions, the answer was like 12th. Yeah. <laughs> 14th. No, close though. Um, 15th. Ah. So 1400s, if you would have said 1400s, you would have been right. That was not the question no i know i'm just century (laughs) well still what century if you would have said 1400s that's still the correct century so um you did guess twice incorrectly though so i have to take no no (laughs) fill in the blank you just chuck stuff at the door and if it can't make contact the door's been blank i know the charm is is it just the other form of imperturbed or whatever? I don't yes. know how to pronounce it. Okay. Okay. Um, what goblin was Bill said to be talking to to try and get him on the order's side? It's, it's a goblin we know. I guess. I don't, I don't think we ever hear about him again. Oh, okay. <laughs> awesome. So, no. Um... <laughs> I, this feels like wrong making up the name. Like, I don't know. I'm just not going to answer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's Ragnarok. 
Oh. Like whenever Ragnarok. Whenever I read it, yeah, whenever I read it, I'm like, oh, Ragnarok. No, no, it's not that. <laughs> yeah. What position was Percy promoted to? Is he, like, junior undersecretary to the minister or something stupid? (laughs) You're very close. (laughs) No! Okay, I can't guess again or my point will go away, so. Now you're frozen. Oh, no. Okay, sorry, you're back. Okay. (laughs) Junior assistant to the minister. No! Oh, because, no, because I was wrong, because... Umbridge is senior undersecretary to the minister. Yeah. He's junior assistant. Ugh, okay, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> um, who was the minister of magic before Fudge? And they literally mention him in Half-Blood Prince, don't they? What? They literally mention him in Half-Blood Prince, don't they? Or no? Are you sure it's a woman? But I could be wrong. Oh. Before him. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Millicent Bagnold. Oh. Yep. What? Okay. Something is happening and my Wi-Fi turned off. Who so knew I'm Millicent try... was such a popular name? Is it? Okay, we're good. Sorry. Um, my Wi-Fi turned off and I had to fix it before it, it's like stopped recording. <laughs> Crookshanks, would you stop that, please? Come here. Come here. Sorry. Being annoying. Um. <laughs> it's your turn, right? I no, it's my turn. The... Okay. <laughs> Bill jokes that Mad-Eye didn't make Harry come via where. Oh, shoot. Oh, man. I know this. No. I... I ow, Crookshanks. He just bit me. Um, <laughs> he, like, jumped on me and bit me. Like, on purpose. <laughs> it was, like, something Greenway? I don't know. No. I don't remember. Um, it was something weird. Greenland? That, it's, it's a real place. <laughs> oh, no, I know. I just couldn't. It was green. Yeah, something. I know. I I hope I would hope you know what Greenland is. I, I do. <laughs> Uh, okay well that is trivia for today what i have one more question why do i have one more question